first fielder. He's gone to the dog. A big thank you to W Hunting Supply for including the Gone to the Dogs podcast in their outstanding lineup of hound-related podcasts. We really appreciate it. With the hunting seasons in full swing around the country, I can't think of a better place to shop for all your hound-related needs from electronics to apparel and everything in between. Shop dusupply.com. You'll be glad you did. Hit me like a wall I never dreamed you'd be the one To lead me to fall But now our love has ended You've had a change of mind There's no more you It's only goodbye Trusted you with all my love And you just stole me blind The key to your weary heart I thought I'd never find Thought we had figured out our love would never die There's no more you, it's only goodbye Welcome everybody to the Gone to the Dogs podcast How about that music to start the show off today? That's a tune called Only Goodbye And the thing that I like about that tune is I know the guy that co-wrote it and performed it. And he's right here on the show today. We've got Trent Williams. Trent, it's great to have you, buddy. Great to be here, Steve. Well, yeah, we talked at Autumn Oaks, you know, and I guess I didn't at that point know that we were going to end up uh, being on a podcast together. But uh, uh, through... uh, some of my ramblings, I think, on on one of the earlier podcasts, I mentioned uh, that I had a great uh, appreciation for bluegrass music, and uh, you were kind enough to send me a CD, and uh, as the old saying is, back in my day when everything was on a record, you know, I wore the needle through this thing, buddy, (laughs) since you sent it to me. I have really, really enjoyed it, and... uh, as our listeners already know, you're a very talented young man, and uh, and uh, we're going to talk a lot about your music on this podcast. We're going to talk about the fact that you're a coon hunter. That was your card that got you on the show. <laughs> but the the bluegrass music and all is certainly a uh, a plus that we want to talk about, and. Uh, all, but I want our listeners to to note a little bit about who you are, where you live, a little about your family and your background and all, and then we're going to go into your music and to your coon hunting activities. Uh, just just start it off for me. Tell me who Trent Williams is, where he's from, what he does for a living, uh, about your family and those sort of things. So, Steve, I'm 28 years old now. Uh, my family, I'm, I'm married. I've got, uh, she'll be a month old, our first baby, uh, Tuesday this week. So Awesome. What's her name? A, Nora. Nora oh. Rose Williams. And she has uh, She has definitely made a significant change in our day-to-day activities, to <laughs> say the least. No doubt. My my hometown is uh, Piketon, Ohio, and that's actually where where I live again today. Um, 
I moved away for a five-year window there for work and and uh, couldn't wait to get back and tried to get back here as fast as I could. So we've been back here a couple years now and pretty close to where I grew up. And the goal is to even move a little bit closer than I am today, somewhere where I might be able to throw a rock into my childhood home one day. But uh, we're close That's enough great. right now. Did you grow up in the country or in town? Yes, sir. I, I grew up about about a 15-minute ride away from the nearest Walmart, which, uh, you know, that's a good way to judge anything in this neck of the woods. Yeah, well, I know I had a good friend up in Michigan, Rod Sarbo, was born way up on Lake Superior and um, in a town called Ontonagon. And Rod was a great guy. I went to church with him there in Kalamazoo, one of the first people I met when I moved up there with UKC. And he used to tell me, Steve, it was 100 miles to the nearest McDonald's. <laughs> I thought, well, that's a bit much. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, I, I grew up just far enough away from anything that you didn't just run to McDonald's to grab your breakfast in the morning. Uh, you made a trip into town. You made a trip. So. I, I got you. Well, there's certainly a lot to be said about growing up in the country, and I find that Usually people that did grow up in the country, um, you know, are well-rooted and well-rounded people. And uh, I think you certainly uh, uh, fit that description. Um, okay, you've told me about your family. Now, what, what type of work do you do, Trent? So I'm, I'm an electrical engineer, uh, and that's... That's something that uh, I always thought I, I wanted to be, but uh, music and coon hunting and all those kind of things got in the way over the years and made me think that I didn't want to, but fortunately I had the right people pushing me in the right direction that they, uh, they talked me into getting a good job so I could support my fun hobbies. So. Well, you know, I mentioned that I think on an earlier podcast when I talked to the youth at, at uh, the PKC Youth World Championship and every one of those young guys and gals out there were thinking, I knew they were thinking that whether they said it or not, boy, I'd like to be a professional coon hunter, you know, and that's what I'm going to do, you know? And I, I tried to persuade them to think about getting that education, getting that good job. And then they could go ahead and coon hunt all they wanted to. Uh, but, uh, they'd have the finances to do so. But trying to hit your wagon to that star might be, might be a bit of a, a bumpy ride. And I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later on as we talk about your music. But how old are you now, Trent? 28. 28 years old. Wow. That's, uh, that's a young man by my standards. I only got you by about three times. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay. So you live near the town of Piketon, Kentucky, right? Yes, sir. I cannot Piketon, Ohio. Ohio. <laughs> I knew I was going to say that before we started this podcast because my grandparents on my mother's side are from over in eastern Kentucky and uh you know pike county and over that way floyd county and and also i knew i was going to mess that up so that i maybe I, I used up my mulligan there for the day i hope that's the only mistake i made um well you know uh i wanted to talk to you uh about something that's very very interesting to me and uh 
and that's your music and your music background. And we're going to play just a little bit of uh, one of your tunes that you also co-wrote. I believe, is it, am I uh, reading this right? You wrote this with a, uh, someone named Dane Zane. Is that correct? Actually, that, that was produced by Dane Zane Productions. So you time. wrote yep. the song yourself yep. then. Yep. I got you, and that would have been the case with the, the first song that we played, Only yeah. Goodbye, to. Yep. All right, well, there's now there's two mistakes. The third one, <laughs> I'm, I'm gone. Let's listen to Perfectly Heartbroke, written and performed by Trent Williams, and then we'll get into talking about some bluegrass music. You cheated on me a time or two. Rambled around in front of me and acted like I never knew. I'm sorry it's all over now. I guess we're finally through. I'm perfectly heartbroken over you. Perfectly heartbroken, no, I ain't been. I'm beat up like an old guitar and just full of dance. You told me that you loved me, said you'd always be true. I'm perfectly heartbroken over you. Okay, Trent, great job, man. I'm enjoying that a lot. In fact, uh, uh, every tune on that uh, CD called uh, Trent Williams Someday uh, is a great tune. Is that available out there where people can buy this now? Or can, can they get a copy of this CD from you? Yes, sir. Yes, so so one method would be just reach out to me. Uh, obviously, I'm I'm pretty active out in the social media world. And you can get a hold of me, and I'll get a copy to you. Uh, and it's also it's out on all the streaming platforms. So your Spotify's, Apple Music, Amazon, things like that. You can find it's it all, as well. It's all out there. Okay, and we'll try to put a link in the show notes on this so people will know where to get it. Uh, uh, but it's a it's a great great. Uh, cd and uh, man i tell you uh, i want to ask you a little more about it as we go along but you told me that you have traveled and played bluegrass music uh since you were six years old tell me about that so i i started playing when i was about six um, and that's about that's an early memory that i can date my parents have dated before um i didn't really get in the bluegrass festival scene until i was a little bit older but uh Music was always a part of my family. My dad's side of the family, everyone's pretty involved in in music of some form. Most people play an instrument in the family or at least involved in the singing world. Uh, I grew up learning to play music in church. Uh, my dad bought me a mandolin when I was about six years old. Uh, I remember going to get it that day, and uh, my dad bought me one, and my brother, which is my only sibling, is 12 years older than me, and he bought one the same day and uh, we both tried to learn about the same time and and that's where we started and i honestly started playing a mandolin because i wanted to be ricky's gags <laughs> just like a lot of other little boys and uh and i thought it would fit at the time and i spent a lot of time bugging my dad to death uh i used to wait on him to get home from work and i'd have his guitar out of the case and whenever he walked in the door i'd shove a guitar in his face and say let's play and uh i'm sure i drove him crazy with it over the time and uh i've I've heard my dad say a lot of times people come up 
I mean, uh, when I was a kid, how'd you get him started? What'd you get him interested in with? And, and this is something I definitely wanted to be out there is uh, my dad's best of a piece of advice that I've heard him say to a lot of people is take the best instrument you own, lay it on the bed and tell him not to touch it. And uh, if he's interested, he'll be interested. And that's, <laughs> th- that's pretty well what happened for me. Uh, I started playing the mandolin and then I got interested. I'd, watched my dad play for a long time playing guitar and uh, finally decided that I was going to learn that over a snow break and uh, picked up on it and started playing it. And then it was on to the next instrument and the next instrument. And well, there were, there was definitely some failures and some roadblocks and, but young spongy minds, it's pretty, uh, pretty good opportunity to learn a lot of that stuff when I was a little kid. And uh, especially when you had it around you all the time, you always had access to it. You had access to someone else that played. I had some some horror stories. I can't play a fiddle. I absolutely cannot play a fiddle. And uh, there's a lot of people around that would definitely agree with that. And uh, my parents would be the first to tell you that if they were inside, they ran me outside with it. And if they were outside, they ran me inside with it when I I tried. So otherwise, I've tried to pick up on some other instruments in my life and and uh, really, really never stuck to any of it real hard. Uh, never really stuck to a particular instrument like I probably should have. Uh, but it's always been a hobby for me. It's never been, it's never been a job. Uh, there was, there's been some points in my life I thought it might be, but uh, I'm <laughs> pretty, pretty thankful it's not. Well, you know, it seeming it seems like there's a lot of parallels there in what you're saying to my own experience. Now, number one, I'll qualify that statement by saying I don't play. I do. I can play um, chords on a guitar. My right hand, I don't know. It doesn't want to cooperate as far as being a picker. Uh, no, I mean I I've always loved music. I've always had an ear for music. I sang in church and all this, and I sang in in glee club or choir in high school. But when it came to the coordination of my left hand and my right hand, I hear, I have a good ear for it. I hear the changes. I can physically make the chords. But when it comes to the manual dexterity of making my fingers move <laughs> the way they need to, if I can solder them in one place on that fretboard, you know, and hold it there for a while, and I can hear that next change coming, and I I can do that now. But <laughs> but so I first and foremost, I am not a musician. My dad. And you, it's interesting that you mentioned the fiddle because that was his instrument. He uh, grew up as a boy in, in Middle Tennessee, about 30 miles from Nashville. And that whole, you know, mute, when my dad was born in 1920, you know, that whole music scene was just developing down there. Uh, but he learned to play the fiddle and he would play at the local dances that they'd have at from one farmhouse to the next on Saturday night, you know. And so there was always a fiddle at our house, and my dad, he, uh, you know, would take it out in the evenings and would play. And later on, as I, through a high school friend that taught me uh, to play uh, chords on a guitar, uh, you know, I used to play some with my dad. 
but uh, we've always appreciated and loved uh, bluegrass-type music, although uh, what he played was more closely called old-time music or, as we said, old-timey music, those old fiddle tunes, you know, uh, Black Mountain Rag and Billy in the Low Ground and and uh, uh, what's the one, Ragtime Annie and things like that, those mm-hmm. old fiddle tunes. But that, that was what I'm sure that whetted my interest, you know, in bluegrass music, and, and I always loved it. You know, I, uh, I think I mentioned to you, or we made a few notes here about, uh, you know, how I would go through the record stores and all after I was married and working and look, try to find, back at that time, it was cassettes of, of you know, some of the better uh, performers in, in bluegrass music. But always loved it. Um, now, did your dad play in a band or, or a group uh, or in church or what? My my dad played church his whole life and then also uh, spent some time traveling with Southern gospel music. And that's really where, where I started having an interest in playing and singing and and was I was introduced through the Southern Gospel aspect of the music. And as you know, there's there's just deep ties between it and bluegrass music as a oh, whole. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, you struck another nerve with me there too because I always loved Southern Gospel music, and that's kind of what in church when I sang. I sang, you know, with uh, quartet, male quartets and with mixed quartets, and I didn't do it well, I'll, I'll tell you that, but I did. And back when I was younger, I had a, that tenor voice, you know, that I could sing uh, sing tenor. But uh, And then as I went to college in, in Florida, I got down into the Deep South and that whole uh, whole community of gospel musicians, you know, and— uh, and and just loved it and still do don't listen to it as much as as i did but uh so you got involved as we say in picking and singing pretty much through your family influences and in your church right yeah that's uh, the the term you hear a lot of people use whenever you talk about a uh, in in the bluegrass music community is we were we were pulled up by the hair of our head into this music from the start yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I, I wouldn't say we didn't have a choice, but we were exposed to it so much, I think it's just influences to the point mm-hmm. that that's where we stay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know over in Indiana, I met a young man named Daniel Patrick. Have you ever met him? Yes, sir. Daniel Patrick and I know each other quite well. Okay. And uh, we and, played uh, a lot of music together when we were kids. I see. Daniel was quite the banjo picker, isn't he? Yes, sir. <laughs> Daniel is a phenomenal musician. It doesn't matter what you hand him. Is that Daniel right? can play anything just about as well as anybody I know. Well, you know, at the coon hunts over the years, and we'll swing this back around <laughs> a little bit to the coon hound uh, uh, angle. Uh, when we would put on major events like world championships and things like that, I was always looking for entertainment, you know, and uh, – I know that when I was with the AKC, Jerry Mall, who just retired from PKC as their uh, their field guy, uh, Jerry worked with me at AKC, and I believe Jerry was the one maybe responsible for us uh, being able to 
have uh, Daniel come and play for us at, at one of the events that we had there. And so I met him and, and his dad and uh, mm-hmm. really enjoyed that aspect. And, and, you know, I always tried to follow through with that sort of thing down through the years. And I have a cousin uh, that has a management company, talent uh management company in nashville it's called modern management his name is ted green he's my first cousin uh his mother and my dad were brother and sisters and uh ted um you know one of the the acts that or talents that he has is josh turner and we asked uh ted to to provide uh could we possibly get Josh Turner to come and sing at the St. Jude uh, Children's Research Hospital benefit hunt in Parsons, Tennessee, and he did. He agreed. He came out and kind of played an unplugged session there on a Friday night, and it was just so happened. Uh, I don't know. You said earlier things happen for a reason, and uh, that just happened to be the time that uh, I went through a little physical speed bump and have had to have bypass surgery at uh, uh, Duke University. And so having planned this and so looking forward to Josh being there for the crowd and all, I didn't get to see him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I've always tried to bring uh, music in to, to the major events and, of course, bluegrass being, uh, a, you know, one of my fav- very favorites uh, well, it's interesting. It's a small world, isn't it, of the people that we know out there? Yes, sir. Uh, I, I again, and I don't want to dominate the conversation because this is all about you today. I want people to know you and about your music. But I was also fortunate to go to a, a small concert uh, uh, in Todd, uh, North Carolina, there by my cabin and see Doc Watson uh perform one of the last times before doc passed away and anybody that's into this music knows who doc watson is he was a i think a six or seven time grammy winner so well what about um you said that you consider doing the music full time what was the process that uh, took you there and then uh, obviously persuaded you to go another direction because really i can see you you having a great, a great career in that field. So, uh, like, like you'd mentioned in a previous podcast there about, uh, going in, going in a direction that you see that it's, uh, it's fantasizing about something that you want to do because it's, it's the hobby you love and you want to make it a job. Uh, that's what I thought at one point. And I spent a summer doing it. While I was still in college, I was fortunate enough that my, my dad did everything but whoop me with a stick to make me go ahead and go get my degree. And uh, and I I always wanted to be an engineer. Uh, I, I wanted to be an engineer since I was a little kid. Dad's involved in the engineering world. Uh, I've, I've tried to follow in that direction. I always liked it. I've, now I've changed my mind. I wanted wanted to build spaceships when I was a little boy, and <laughs> now I'm in the electrical world. So, but yeah. I always wanted that. But uh, music kept trying to pull and pull, and and I enjoyed it. So I thought, why not try to do it full time? And uh, 
that was a short-lived thought. I'll say that. Um, I enjoy it, and I still love it today, and I don't know if I would if I was doing it full-time. And uh, it's kept it from being a job, and anytime we make a hobby a job, I, I really feel like it quickly turns into something that doesn't become so pleasurable to us. Well, you could end up like me, you know, I always loved the coon hunt, and then I ended up making a career out of it. And it was funny as I would travel around the country, a lot of times on airplanes, and I'd sit down beside someone and we'd start talking, and they'd ask me what I did. And and usually what really surprised me about that was there would be some kind of connection with that person to the sport of coon hunting. Well, my grandpa used to coon hunt. Well, my uncle did, or I had a friend in high school that did, and I went with him one time (laughs) and that sort of thing, you know. But So I was kind of a real anomaly there uh, in that I was able to make a career out of something that I love to do. But there is that danger of ruining your hobby, you know, when you make it a a 24-hour, seven job you know which when you deal with coon hounds and coon hound registries as my good friend jerry maul will probably tell you who just retired you know it it pretty soon it envelops your entire life uh because you get you're getting phone calls at three o'clock in the morning with guys trying to uh, trying to uh settle some kind of question you know yeah. and they're all gathered around a cell phone with the speaker on and and you've just been woken up from a dead sleep and you're supposed to be, you know, sharp and quoting rules and, and all this. So, but anyway, well, I, there I go down a rabbit path, but, uh, well, and I, and I can tell you there, there's no question. If, if you feel like you're great, uh, if you feel like you've got this music thing figured out, uh, it, it doesn't take very long to get humbled either. Uh, I could, I could take you anywhere to a major bluegrass festival and walk you around a campground and find a nine-year-old kid that makes me feel stupid. <laughs> <laughs> could just play circles around you. And, yeah. Uh, there, there's so much talent out there today, and and there's a lot of people that that need to be seen. Just just like there's a lot of good dogs out there that sit behind the shed. Now there's a lot of good dogs that get talked about behind the shed that. Uh, may not come up to par but boy there's some good ones sitting out there that nobody else knows about well there sure is and you you touched on a good point right there that i've tried to uh think about and keep in front of me as i do these podcasts is i and i know you know there are quote unquote superstars in our sport that are going out there winning a lot of money and god bless them you know, I mean, that's their thing. They've obviously got good hounds, and they have made a life out of coon hunting and all. But, you know, I just I just want to celebrate the people that understand and put coon hunting in its proper perspective. And, you know, being a person that's always uh, loved my family, I— uh, my mother and father both were from large families of nine children each. And my aunts and uncles were dear to me, and they treated me uh, great as a kid. I mean, they they didn't mince words when I needed to be straightened up, and it didn't matter whether I was their brother or their 
their sister's boy, if I needed to to be corrected, they didn't, you know, they didn't hesitate. But I loved them, and they were both families with a lot of love and and uh, and all. And I just wanted to celebrate. Not that the other side is not doing that or is not um, equally as important, but to me, the family aspect, the family man, the working man, the guy that's a good citizen, uh, he's, he's sober, he uh, um, treats his fellow man right, and he loves to coon hunt. That's the kind of guy I want to climb in the seat of a truck with and ride 500 miles down the road and share the stories and all. And that's this uh, podcast is kind of like that truck ride, you know. Uh, I try to pick up people along the way that I think will make good traveling companions. And, and that's why you, of course, are here, uh, Trent. And I wanted to ask you, um, what just b- before we move away from the music a little bit, uh, are there some particular uh, entertainers, uh, well-known people that you've played with or met out there on the circuit or maybe sat down and jammed with uh, at one of these festivals or whatever? Well, something you'll get to find out if if you get to spend enough time around a bluegrass festival is, is one thing that's absolutely wonderful about our genre is it's an open book and uh, the, the biggest name in entertainment is readily accessible. It's not like they go hide on their bus after they get off stage. Uh, you can go find and have a personal conversation with just about anybody out in this business. And uh, there's there's some wonderful people in the business, I'll say that, that uh, are just as good of people as they are musicians. Now, like anything else, we got both sides of that. Uh, I think we can find that in the coon hunting world, too. But everyone's readily accessible and and if you start looking back in the history books uh, of who is great um, and who was out on the circuit at one point from the time i was a kid uh, i've probably got the opportunity to meet them spend some time with them Hmm. get to play some music Um, i've gotten to know quite a few guys and and get to play out with them i mentioned there earlier that uh, i moved away for a period of time when i moved away i moved away uh, for a job. I, I had to move somewhere in the southeastern U.S., and and that moved me. I I really thought the best option for me was uh, move to Nashville. I just moved to Nashville. I've got a lot of music friends there I can get together with, get an opportunity to play music with and, and visit with. So when I moved to Nashville, I got to play a little bit of fill-in work here and there, and this is a sideman deal. Uh, when work would allow for it and when I was in town. Now, one thing I didn't take into consideration is uh, I worked a day job uh, through the week and I had weekends free and all my music buddies that were traveling on the road were home all week with nothing to do. And come Thursday night, they rolled in a bus and took off. So uh, our schedules didn't really align, but I did get some mm. great opportunities while I was there. Yeah, well, I understand uh, how that <laughs> that would be a conflict, and you know, I've I've had several friends over the years, and coming out of Southern West Virginia, music was real important, and there was a, a guy that played a harmonica pretty well named Charlie McCoy, and uh, 
he was from there in my hometown area, and a guy named Russ Hicks that was a pretty fair guitar player, and some of these guys all had, you know, uh, their touch on, on, you know, playing sessions in Nashville, and a guy named Mark Carmen that did a lot of keyboard work and stuff that I knew, and just uh, had a lot of co contacts with it. My brother played drums with a southern gospel group up and down the eastern seaboard and you know and uh, and all that and so i got from standing out here looking on you know i kind of got a a taste of what that that whole scene was like and but man i just loved the music and i never actually went to a bluegrass uh festival uh, I just came up last week up through Galax, Virginia, and there's a big one there, I think, every year, the, maybe the old-time fiddle uh, convention yeah. or whatever they call it. You ever played at Galax? So Galax is a, is a fiddler's convention. Uh, mm. it, it is very different than a, a typical bluegrass festival with a standard stage show, but Galax has become the, uh, the location for any young bluegrass person that you want to attend and sit by a camper and jam all week yeah and uh yeah well i listened to you know uh bluegrass junction on sirius mm -hmm. satellite radio that's my bluegrass connection now kyle Cantrell is i think is still on that show yep. and uh and then of course the grand Ole opry was something that was always part of my family and and we talked about that you know uh i have before on podcasts of no matter where we were on the up in those hills and hollows of west virginia get up on the ridge you could turn uh, tune in wsm in nashville and hear the grand Ole opry you know so well that that's awesome and and i i it's really good i wish i could share this entire album uh, with our listeners, and I hope that uh, they will if they enjoy this mu uh, music the way I do, and we'll we'll go out there and get a copy of uh, of Someday by Trent Williams. Uh, you'll really enjoy it. Let's talk about coon hunting, Trent. Now, I know that somehow you've gotten bitten by that coon hunting bug, like the rest of us. When did all that start for you? So. Uh, as as far back as I can remember, there were coon dogs at home. Uh, my dad and my uncle hunted a lot together when I was a little kid, before I was born and up until I was uh, probably a teenager. And there was always dogs around. Even, even if they got out of the hunting scene for a little while, there was always still dogs around. And uh, they may have got laid up on the box for a little while, but they were just old country coon dogs uh, most of most of what was there was uh, my parents my dad my uncle never were really involved in the competition scene at all uh, in in that point in time hides were worth some money and and uh, they were hide hunting and they would save up hides and save up ginseng from the year and go buy new car hurts and perfume for my mom and my aunt <laughs> that was Christmas, right? Yep. Well, listen, uh, there in the part of the country that you're from now, set this kind of, I'm I'm a big map guy. I like to know where I am and talk about the geography and all. You're south of, well, you're fairly close to the city of, of Waverly, Ohio, right? Yes, sir. So, yeah. so Waverly is our county seat here. I live in Pike County, Ohio, right. um, where 
if you're looking at a map, there's State Route 23 runs straight north and south out of Columbus, and uh, State Route 32 runs straight east and west out of Cincinnati. Where those two meet is Piketon, Ohio. So we're we're pretty much South Central. Uh, we typically refer to ourselves as Southeastern because we the terrain looks a lot more like Southeastern Ohio. Uh, I live right right on the edge of the Appalachian foothills. Mm-hmm. Are I, you are you along the side of river river there? Yes. And that, yes. Mm-hmm. And that also fly, flows uh, down. I guess it flows down for, through uh, Chillicothe and down that way. Yes. Yeah. So it yeah. comes down through Chillicothe, Waverly, Pike, and then on down mm-hmm. into Portsmouth. It's the well, Ohio. My dad, being a pipe fitter, he worked there at Portsmouth or something. There's some kind of big nuclear plant or where yes, they diffused uranium there for the atom bomb, I believe. Yeah, gaseous diffusion uranium, uranium enrichment facility has been the uh, primary employer of the majority of the, my community here. Um, since it was a Cold War project, since then it's uh, significantly scaled down, but... Uh, that's that's our claim to fame is the, the A plant, well, atomic the, plant. Yeah, well, there again is a common thread with us because my dad worked in three plants that, that where that was uh, the, the main focus. He worked in building the plants at Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and out in uh, Kevill, Kentucky, out by Paducah, Kentucky, out there. And uh, I lived in Charleston, Missouri when I was a first grader dad moved the family out there one of the rare times that we moved with him while he was away working and then at Portsmouth Ohio he worked there too and I think he told me was that was that the scene of the first Bob Evans restaurant there somewhere so or was the, that the, in Gallipolis that, that's Rio Grande Gallipolis area yeah well Rio Grande there on route 35 here's this geography coming out I traveled out of West Virginia going to Michigan, I would travel Highway 35 through Jackson and Rio Grande and that way and up to Circleville and and I think it's Circleville mm-hmm. or to Chillicothe and, Chillicothe and go north up through Columbus, uh, around Columbus yep. and, and all. Yeah. Oh, well, I, like I say, every, every conversation seems to uh, trigger a memory for me. Well, you know, when I was growing up in West Virginia and getting the competition bug myself, you know, all the good hunting was in Ohio uh, pretty much. And so guys from our area would go up around Jackson, Ohio, and, and different places there to coon hunt. And my dad had a good friend that lived in Ashland, Kentucky, not far from uh, from Huntington, West Virginia there. And so we made those hunts from time to time. What's the hunting like there where you live? So uh, it's it's funny you bring up the, the all the good hunting is in Ohio. So uh, we 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 smile every time we hear that here locally. So uh, where I live, like I said, is right on the edge of the Appalachian foothills, uh, within forty five minutes to an hour drive in north or west. I can get into flat ground and. Uh, can typically get into a little bit larger coon population. Where I live, the population's not not high by any means. Uh, we got plenty of coon. They're just up in the hills. And uh, if you have a if you have a really good night, you've treated four or five coon. Uh, on a weeknight, if you've treated two coon, you better go home. 
And uh, yeah, that that may not be because you're not going to treat another one. That just means uh, you've probably walked three mile uphill to get to them two trees. <laughs> and you're not going to tell you, me the hills it's uphill both ways down there, are you? Like our parents used to tell us about school. It ain't both ways. I've I've got some good friends down in East Tennessee in the mountains, and they'll tell you that uh, that I've got a buddy that come up comes up here and hunts, and he'll tell you at least when you get to the top of the mountain, it's down for a good ways. He said, "I swear it's uphill in every direction here." So, yeah. Well, that's you know I hunted along the Ohio Valley, but I was way up in eastern Ohio, up around. Mm-hmm. Well, across the river from Wheeling and wet and Weirton, West Virginia, on the Ohio side around uh, Belmont County, St. Clairsville, that area, and those hills were not uh, high, but they no. were extremely steep, and yes, sir. you know you could just lean over and take a rest just about <laughs> any time. But man, did it was it full of coons? Is it like you you've got a pretty healthy yeah coon we've got population? a healthy population yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, it's it's fairly healthy. I mean, we have nights you don't treat coon hunt. That, there's mm-hmm. no question that happens. Well, I think that's coon hunting anywhere. Well, what kind of dogs do you hunt, Trent? So I was I was exposed initially, and this is another similarity we share here. Is I was exposed from a young age to plot dogs. Really, and uh, that was that was actually my dad and my uncle both hunted. Um, which is kind of an anomaly here in this area. Uh, as far as other guys in the area, it would have been uh, Brent Zink, or hmm. uh, there were some other guys that hunted plot dogs around Jackson. Uh, but otherwise, we were kind of an anomaly. And and I apologize. I should have gotten that whole story of how they got involved in that early on and how they came across them. But uh, we had some plot dogs across with some curves when I was a kid. Um, hmm. but like anybody else, and I, I tell everybody, I sure hate to admit it, but I'm hunting Walker dogs today. <laughs> <laughs> well, my friends in Walker breed probably won't appreciate this, but I used to tell people, I said, you know, up for years and years that I hunted plots and my dad and I bred them for many years. And, and, you know, we kind of were, were respected in the plot breed. I mean, you know, we, we didn't produce any world beaters or whatever. Certainly weren't of the stature of a Dale Brandenburger or a Wayne Jeffries or was one of those guys back in the day who really campaigned their dogs. But I said, you know, I, I was a pretty uh, fairly uh, well-respected guy. And then I got this Walker female, and now I'm down here in the ditch with everybody else. <laughs> but... As anybody listens to the podcast knows, I you know I've kind of swung over to the Walker breed myself. Uh, my dad and I were primarily breeding for bear dogs back in the day, but I I coon hunted what he let me uh, hunt, you know, and, and all. But uh, but certainly uh, the Walker dogs don't need any introduction, or they don't need me to make excuses for them for you know what they've done in terms of of dominating really the competition world uh, and I, I didn't do it on purpose by any means i uh i my exposure to to get back into dogs i completely got out of it and uh when i moved to nashville i just i traveled for work a lot and 
didn't have anyone else close. My wife traveled for work at the time, and and I, I just couldn't couldn't manage and, and do a dog justice at home. So I got out of it and ran into some guys over in East Tennessee that are now really good friends of mine today on a bear hunt. They got me back in the plot dog world, um, and uh, I've I've got to get up, give an awful lot of credit to uh, Mr. George Schuper down there in East Tennessee. He's a hog and bear man and in the plot world, but I also got to blame him for getting me in this walker dog business because uh, he he begged me to come down and get one, and, and I can't give him up now. So I see. Well, do you know the breeding on the dog? Are you familiar yes, with sir. how he's bred? So he's he's directly out of Wipeout Toby. And then uh, the bottom side is Bog Screaming Diva, which is uh, a jip over there around Greenville, Tennessee now. I believe boys got her over there. And uh, he's been an awful good one. I've had him for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. How old is he now? He'd be six now. He just mm-hmm. turned six years old. I wish one of those that I wish I had earlier in life. Uh, he, but I think he came around at the right time for me. He'd never been pushed in any hunts or anything when I got him. And we've hit the road off a lot here lately. I see. Are you doing any winning? Yes, sir. We just finished out. So, uh, oh, well, that's just awesome. finished him out to a grand night here. Did uh, you, well, I'm sure he's a champion. Did you get your five wins this year for the tournament of champions? Yes, sir. I uh, I kind of held off. Uh, so I got my my five for tournament of champions last year, and and kept hunting because we were on a good streak, and you know how that goes. You can't get away from it. Yeah. And uh, I quit. I just held off and, and quit hitting the hunts whenever I had five left to finish him out. Then we started hitting the hunts again this year after tournament of champions, and uh, we actually made a, a, a world qualified. We went to an RQE, and I kind of – I wasn't going to an RQE to go to an RQE. I went – Went to an RQE with the intentions of trying to put another win on him and uh, mm-hmm. got us a win there and then went ahead and went to zones. Uh, actually, your your conversations and, and your discussion in all these podcasts uh, over the last couple of years about the Coon Zoo in Michigan, uh, <laughs> I, I'll be honest, that's the only reason I went to zones this year. Is, uh, I'd heard all that talk and I seen a really good opportunity to go hunt two nights up around Reading, and uh, took it and went. Mm-hmm. And we well, what'd you think? Get... That's one of the most incredible experiences I've had in my life. Uh, my I took my dad with me, and he actually spectated on the cast, and and uh, I told him on the second night. I said, "Have you done anything but skip through the woods and joy at all these coon hanging up everywhere?" <laughs> I've never seen anything like it, but uh, we got we got lucky and uh, managed to make it through zones and into the top one hundred and yep. make a trip to Peru this year. So yeah, he's been awful good to me and a lot of fun. That's good. What do you call him? Williams Wild Joe is his name. Wild Joe. Well, you know, I just got a text here. I had uh, uh, my good friend now. Uh, Trevor Wade uh, with UKC, such a stand-up young man. I, I really admire Trevor and the job he's doing at UKC. And being an East Tennessee boy and moved to Michigan, 
You know, it's kind of like my experience moving from southern West Virginia to Michigan back in, in 83 when I went there. And I said, uh, have you been hunting a lot? And he said, uh, well, he was down at, as we're recording this right now, the World Series is going on between uh, the Braves and the Astros. And, and, of course, being from East Tennessee, they're big Brave fans down there. Said so He said he was going home and to watch a couple games with his dad. Now, I don't know if they were going to Atlanta or just watching together on TV, but he said hunting has been great. He said we had a great acorn crop this year, and he said the coons are everywhere. And I'm <laughs> sitting there salivating on the keyboard <laughs> as I'm or my phone as I'm reading that because I know exactly what he's talking about. I told Ella just a while ago, I said, you know, there's one – thing that I would like to do every year is I would love to live in Michigan between October 15th and November 15th each year. <laughs> uh, that would be, uh, you know, because the weather's just usually perfect at that time of year. It's beautiful. Uh, and uh, they definitely have the coons up there for sure. And uh, it's uh, anybody that hasn't been up there, you know, I go to the White River in Arkansas each year and I really enjoy that. But I was telling somebody just recently, I said, you know, hunting in Michigan, we were, uh, they asked me to compare Michigan with, with uh, Arkansas. And I said, well, it's two totally different kinds of hunting. In Arkansas, you're hunting big woods, big river bottoms, uh, open because it does flood from time to time. And, uh, you know, you're just in the woods all the time. There's no agriculture to hunt around. You you might there around Holly Grove or wherever Maddox Bay get over a little bit onto somebody's uh, row crops or something, but it's ma- mainly big woods, whereas Michigan is, you know, the patch woods, lots of cornfields, soybean fields, and low areas throughout the state of Michigan have got water in them. I don't know if you got in any of those uh, yeah, uh, those swamps are not up there. That's the first time I've ever stepped in mud and it went up past my knee with one leg. <laughs> I was in Michigan, <laughs> and it it was uh the conditions were rather dry for the whole weekend mm-hmm. zones and and uh, you'd run into a little swamp somewhere that you could fit about three pickups in, and if you wasn't careful, you'd end up up to your elbows in it. Real That's quick. right. There's a story, and I don't know if you met Lindell Price at Autumn Oaks or not. He was around the booth there for a couple days, and all he and I go way back. He's from Christiansburg, Virginia, and hunts the mountains, and would come every fall to hunt with me in Michigan for many years. He and and Wendell Bond and and Dale Breeding and and those guys. And anyway, one night we treed right on the edge, and there was some water there. And uh, Lindell said, well, you going to shoot that coon? I said, no, I'm not going to shoot him. And he said, well, why not? He's sitting right there. I mean, I said, yeah, but you can't get him if we shoot him. He's going to fall, and it's what we call a borrow pit where they, you know, borrowed dirt out of there, and it filled up with water. Well, I'm messing around there a little bit doing something with the dog or whatever, and I look at him, and he's hollering, said, hey, hey, come here and help me. I said, what are you doing? I looked out there. He was out in that mess, and he was already up to about his hips, you know, in that soft 
soft bottom like you're talking about. And I had to unload the rifle, make sure it was safe, and and hold it by the end of the barrel and, and hand him the <laughs> stock end of it to get hold of him, pull him out of that mess. But yeah, but that that is the hunting in Michigan is something that's that's really a treat. And uh, and there in West Michigan around Kalamazoo, it was you had all kinds of different hunting. You could hunt along uh, creeks. You could hunt uh, cornfields and 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 river swamps. And where I liked to hunt was over in the high country west of town in the grape country where they raced a lot of grapes to make jellies and, and juice and stuff like that. And I really enjoyed all that. But, yeah, it's a coon zoo, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, we have where I live, I'm really fortunate that that within about a 45 minute to an hour drive, I can hit multiple different terrains. I can be, my typical weeknight hunting is, is in big woods, uh, big woods with limited agriculture. And then, uh, within 45 minutes to an hour, I can be in flatter ground with big woods. I can be in flatter ground with agriculture. It gives us an opportunity to run dogs and a little bit of everything. But, uh, you mentioned the, having to use your rifle to uh, pull him up out of the swamp. Occasionally, we have to throw a lead strap to somebody to pull on them, but it, it's usually to pull them up a hill and not out of the swamp <laughs> here. My dad would have a saying, we'd be climbing one of those mountains there around Beckley, West Virginia, in the southern part of the state and all, and he'd say, man, this mountain's been in my face all night long. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, you, you could just lean over and take a rest there, that's for sure. Well, listen, what, what kind of dog do you like to hunt in that country? How's this Joe dog hunt? I mean, is he a, a wide hunter? Is he a, uh, so, move around good? What, how's he work? So for me, uh, everybody's got an opinion here. and uh, Oh, yeah. And I like a, a deep and go yonder. That that definitely is of interest to me, and something that moves around good around field edges. And but if you want to walk yourself to death where I live, that's a good way to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Joe typically's not a not a super deep dog. Uh, he'll he'll go a mile if he's got to, but he's not gonna pass a lot of stuff up. Uh, he he may pick a little colder track than what someone may prefer sometimes, but he'll finish it. And uh, that's that's what I really like to have is something that even on a bad night, I can put a coon up. Uh, it may be a cold, rough track, but it can get done. Mm-hmm. And what? Yeah, go ahead. I, I The biggest thing I like is I like a dog with a mouth. So uh, where where I live, if you don't, if you don't have no mouth, you, you're not going to hear them half the time. And uh, that's, if you go back and look at that wipe out Toby stuff, uh, Toby had a big mouth, and Joe looks just and acts just like him. He's got a big mouth, too. And, and I appreciate a ball on the ground and chop on the trees, what I want to see. Mm-hmm. Would you be interested in buying a pretty good three-year-old dog like that? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's uh, what it, I like about my dog, Cruz. Man, he's got a mouth. And I, I really haven't started losing my hearing yet. Uh, I think sometimes when I'm watching TV and all the words get a little bit 
fuzzy on me. But as far as hearing uh, sound and the volume and all that, I can I can hear that just fine. And and that's one of the things that I've appreciated about about Cruz is that that mouth. And usually, when you take him out in a crowd, they'll somebody will say, "Boy, listen to that." mouth on that hound and i've always liked that you know i i got a some vi- uh, some uh video clips just this week and man i he, this guy had me salivating he's up in the up of michigan and he hunts with black mouth cur dogs these ladner stock cur dogs now they don't have big mouths big heavy mouths but they are some coon tree and rascals, man. And I mean, I said, this guy, this might be my future here. You know, I mean, these dogs are not blowing out of the world. You know, they're they're getting out there and getting with it, you know, getting the job done. So I guess that's the bottom line. But I have always appreciated a good mouth on a hound. And I think these guys, is, here I'll climb up on my soapbox just a minute. These guys that are hunting these quote-unquote ambush-type dogs, that they don't get, you know, they may get the dog, the dog gets open. I never understood how a dog could get struck for a 100 and shut his mouth and tree three-quarters to a mile in there, you know, and you never hear him from point A to point B. I don't quite understand all I know about that, you know. But anyway, I think those guys are missing an aspect, and I realize it's about winning. It's about tree and coons when you go to a competition hunt. It's about seeing those eyes and getting by yourself. And, and you know, and I, I understand it. The game has changed on me. And so have I changed. You know, when I was a young man, I would have probably ate that up. But nowadays, you know, it's not physically possible for me. But I just wonder how much these guys that are hunting that type of dog are really enjoying the aesthetics, I call it, of coon hunting, you know? I'm, I make a comment to a lot of people whenever we start talking about the type of dog we like and, and we get into a hunt. I, I really like a dog that I can hunt five nights a week and enjoy, six nights a week and enjoy. I, I, if, if it's something that I like to hunt on Friday and Saturday night but isn't very enjoyable Sunday through Thursday, I really don't know that I want it. Uh, it's just, it's my personal preference. I'm here to enjoy coon hunting. I like to win. I don't like to win real bad uh, to the point that I make it hard to hunt five of those nights a week. And uh, at the end of the day, we want to we want to go out there and hear dogs run. Well, yeah, and it's been said, you know, hunts are not one on Friday and Saturday night. They're one, you know, through the week. What do you think about that? You you like to keep a dog hunted, as we say, hunted up, or, you know, for the weekend, yeah. or do you like to rest them through the week and then hunt them? Well, every, everybody's got an opinion again. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer that, yeah, a dog needs his rest, but if he gets hunted five nights a week, six nights a week, which five nights a week, most common for most, uh, mm-hmm. somebody that's hunting hard, he's in shape that he doesn't need to be laid up for a couple of days before you go hunt him in two, two hour rounds. And, and I think that's a big factor in it. You can't take one and, and expect to whip him into shape two weeks before a big hunt 
and hunt him five nights a week and hunt him till the night before and try to run him into two-hour casts. But if he stays hunted up and hunts on a regular basis, then you're not going to hurt that dog hunting him right. night before. So many things come to mind over the years. You know, when I was with the plot breed, my world hunt was the Thursday night breed hunt at plot days because I was working with the registries. That In those days, it wasn't an RQE. It was an open hunt. The dog had to be a registered plot, but there were no points given by the registry. And uh, so I, working for UKC, I was not permitted to hunt my dogs in UKC hunts. Now, if I had a dog and, and uh, you know, I, I could sell you the dog or put the dog in your name and let you hunt him or whatever, I suppose. But I, I never did really do that. But I would see guys come to plot days. And I know that they didn't haul that, that dog all that distance you know, if they didn't have something, you know. But the dogs weren't in shape. And, you know, Plot Days was traditionally held the first weekend in August, and it would be hot. And those poor dogs, they just, you know, the first tree, they were barked out, and then they wanted to wallow around and hassle the rest of the night, you know. And that was one of the things. And then the years that I bear hunted with my dad, brought this, you know, even further along to see, you know, we would start uh, roading our dogs, you know, all through the summer. And then there was a training season that came in the 1st of August, and we were able, you know, then to run the dogs. And we primarily did it at night because the bear were moving better, and it was also cooler uh, in August. But, but then by the time the the taking season came, we had dogs that were in shape. Their feet were in, uh, were conditioned. You know, they were in shape. There's just no uh, question about it. You know, if you want to compete and, uh, and uh, be successful, you're going to have to keep your dogs in good condition. And I don't know much of a way to do that unless you've got a treadmill or a, yeah. or a dog walker, but get out there and and burn some shoe leather behind them you know well and and i, I can say uh I, th I think a good way to avoid some vet bills is uh keep that dog in shape mm. yeah, one shape sure. that dog is the the less likely he is to go out there and push himself past past what he's capable of and lead to a vet bill uh, i know well, you, yeah, yeah you know i mean those dogs are subject uh, subject to the same kind of muscle strains and pulls and tears and all the things that we are you know and sometimes i think guys i don't like to preach on these podcasts you know the guys i'm not i don't know everything there's to know about hounds i learn something every day but i think that guys forget sometimes that this is a physical being with limitations and the same kinds of limitations all the although the endurance of a hound is amazing and and you know the resiliency of a hound to bounce back, you know, from injury and all that is amazing. But they need rest. They need recovery. Uh, you know, they need a good diet. They need all the things that we do to maintain our health. Don't you think? Yes, sir. And and there are, there are factors that are somewhat unavoidable. Our area has, within the past few years, has 
pretty heavily stricken with Lyme disease and Alechia have become quite, quite a, a battle within almost anybody running hounds. And uh, I know for me, I'm taking a whole lot more preventative measures now because I've I've been through it with a few dogs, and uh, hmm. Joe's actually been had both Lyme and Alechia, and uh, it took a significant toll on him, and it well, it creates problems. Yeah. Well, for sure it does, and you know we, um, without going into details, I knew of a nice uh, female uh, that recently had a litter of puppies and they're about 12 days old and unfortunately her stomach twisted and uh you know that's usually a thing that if it happens one time it's apt to occur again down the road in the expense of taking this dog to state university and having the surgery done was just astronomical but it turned out in the examinations that she also had uh, Lyme and she also had heartworms. Now, today, there's very little excuse for a dog, I believe, to have heartworms with the kind of preventative that we have available. Um, the ticks are a little tougher, you know, to, to control. And uh, what do you use for, for flea and tick control? So I'm, I'm pretty adamant with NexGuard today for mm-hmm. flea and tick. Um, I've tried some other stuff. I've tried, and and I'm I'm familiar with Prevecto too, and it's it's been pretty successful. I know, I know my dad's run Prevecto on all his dogs today with limited tick problems. But the the other thing that I was unaware of that existed at the time was uh, there's actually a vaccine for Lyme disease that that can be given to these dogs. And if if you're not familiar with it, familiarize yourself and do it. Uh, I'll never have a pup again without it. Just, just as a preventative measure, uh, I don't know that anyone can tell you it's a hundred percent, but it's pretty good. And uh, I, I know the next guard. I could say I, I'm not finding ticks on these dogs. If I am, they're dead. Um, mm-hmm. Now the negative to Elikia is there's absolutely nothing out there. Uh, there's no vaccination at this point. So there's no way to prevent those dogs that if if they're infected with a tick that carries it, they're going to get it. And uh, I've seen it almost not show any symptoms on a dog, and I've also seen it take a pup that was playful and happy, and he couldn't get out of his doghouse. So it affects each different. Yeah, and what a disappointment, you know, at the price of puppies today. My partner, yeah. uh, Heath Hyatt, and I have just made a sizable investment on a semen pup uh uh that we're going to uh, uh hopefully uh get him a little bit back into the night hunt and competition scene that he used to be pretty much involved in he's a he's a dedicated bear hunter and someone that i've had on several podcasts but we're kind of going to jump into the to the pool of of buying an expensive pup but uh you know the dogs are getting more expensive all the time and uh care for the dogs is more expensive and i see all the time on social media people comparing the prices of a bag of dog food nowadays and uh and so it's uh it's it's not something that uh you can get into lightly but it is sure a lot of fun and something that can bring some 
really interesting and and uh, nice people into your life. Do you normally hunt by yourself? Do you have partners there that you hunt with regularly, or how do how do you approach that? So I I hunt by myself a good bit. Um, I still hunt with my dad a lot. Hmm. Uh, that's that's one thing that I'm forever grateful. I've got the opportunity to do that. Uh, he can outrun me in the woods if he wants. Even, <laughs> even if he is still hunting plot dogs today. Oh, I got you. He's still and, a plot uh, man. Well, I need to meet him and talk to him for sure. And and then I've I've got a my regular partner here is my cousin and and probably one of my best friends today that uh, we spend an awful lot of time hunting together. Uh, he's, That's great. He's got a nice dog that three and a half year old and and couple pups and you know how that works whenever the pups come around i've got one just come too that i'm pushing a good bit uh, before she goes out into the public eye and sometimes it makes it hard for us to hunt together because we're trying mm-hmm. to accomplish quite a good bit every night and uh, i'm not a believer in turning multiple pups loose together <laughs> so and that no, single that's, out time yeah that's what I usually try to caution people about if they mention they, they're training a couple of pups. I said, well, you need to find somebody to help you with that other pup. You know, don't try to train two of them together. And, uh, you know, that was the old thing back in the day, guys, to take a pup. He said, okay, I'll take two pups, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you a pup if you'll train my pup, you know. Well, you yeah. know what's going to happen that guy, the one he's going to keep, is going to get all the hunting, and yours is not going, not going to get much unless it's somebody, like you say, it's a family member or whatever. Well, you strike a, a chord there with me talking about hunting with your dad because he, my dad was my all-time favorite hunting partner and hunted more with him down through the years than any other one individual. And if I know anything today, he taught it to me because – Dad was always teaching. He was always showing you something, always telling you a little bit, uh, you know, you need to do this now, you need to do that. When I was a kid, you know, I didn't think that was so so cool at times, you know, because I had my own ideas. But as I got older, you know, I realized Dad knew what he was talking about. And, uh, well, I hope that you and your dad certainly have uh, many, many years to hunt together and— uh, there in in south central or southeastern ohio as it is and i apologize for calling you a a, a kentuckian <laughs> don't apologize too much there's there's one half of my family that's all eastern kentucky i got you well my grandparents as i said on my mother's side were from from east kentucky over around loretta lynn country over there where she was born and all but Trent, it's been a great uh, time to spend with you here. We've already talked about an hour and ten minutes. And uh, is there anything up this tree that we haven't shined yet? I don't believe so. Well, I do appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing your music with me. And in fact, that uh, that CD is something I'll always cherish and enjoy. And I'll probably wear it out. I'll probably be coming back to you for another one. Uh are you uh, still actively playing at all? Do you get out any now, or is there any dates in the future or anything that people might be able to come and see you play? There's see? no dates in the future. Uh, I 
I really between work and then then these dogs, uh, it's it's kind of somewhat put a damper on playing out in public. I still do get an opportunity to play a good bit. Actually, my my hunting partner's a musician too, oh, cool. and uh, yeah. then the family around here. You know, there's there's quite a few nights we get the opportunity to sit around and play music and awesome. go hunting afterwards. Sit around, oh, come back, man. trade knives. We can't still get, get that opportunity that. today. Can't get better you, than that. You can't well, you beat know, it with a stick. If I ever get down that part of the world, I'm going to do all of the above, okay? I want I want to go coon hunting with you, and I want to uh, definitely uh, sit down. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna join in, but I'm gonna listen and toe tap and uh, and 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 do the grinning as they say. And I might even swap a knife or two with you. I got a few. Well, so. just make sure you carry a cheap knife in your pocket if somebody That's, wants to drop knives. With we you. Go, you I was going to say we're going to drop them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm familiar with that for sure, yeah. for sure. Well, Trent, we're going to close this thing out, buddy. And it's been a real joy to uh, to talk to you today. And uh, I just wish you the best. And and I know with that uh, new daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Your your baby's a daughter? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's going to keep you busy. You you talked about the coon hunting and the working, but job number one, yeah. <laughs> she's the boss now. There's a new sheriff in town in case you didn't recognize it. That's right. But I wish you you guys the best with your family, and it's been a real treat. And I don't know when I'll see you again. It may be Autumn Oaks again next year. Uh, but my travels might take me down that old uh, side river road there one of these days, and uh, I'll give you a holler. Come on down and see us. We're going to close this out, folks, with uh, with another tune uh, from uh, uh, Trent here. This is one called Brand New Man. I picked this one out of the list because I love the message of this song. I hope that you'll enjoy that. And... Uh, if somebody asks you, where's Fielder? Just tell them he's gone to the dogs. The ringing of a church bell carried on a gentle breeze. Sunday morning in the south, stirring up memories. Suddenly there I am, down upon my Praying, Lord, please forgive me as I finally believe. As I poured out my heart, His love poured over me. When He hung on that cross, He knew what I would need. He said that He was making all things new again. Got to my feet, I was a brand new Not cry out in vain. 
He gave me eternity And for you he did the same And ten thousand angels Rejoiced to call my name For they knew that I Would never be the same As I poured out my heart His love poured over me When he hung on that cross He knew what I would need He said that he was making All things new again When I got to my feet I was a brand new man As I poured out my heart His love poured over me When he hung on that cross He knew what I would need He said that he was making all things new again. When I got to my feet, I was a brand new man.